0: Our vision was for a regular fan to own music with, alongside with, and with their favorite artist. And you don't need to explain anything else to get somebody to understand what that means. You don't have to go and explain what a token is and what crypto does, and they'll figure it out eventually. Like if they want, if and if, if they choose to, it's just not necessary to bring people down that road and and, and effectively scare them sometimes, right? And so my general feeling is, again, it, you know, tokens are an enabling technology. But you still have to solve a real world problem with whatever you're doing with these tokens. If you're not solving a real world problem, how can you expect people to be interested? And that's how we think about things at real.
1: Welcome to the NFT Now Podcast.
2: Every Wednesday we speak with trailblazing artists, collectors, and technologists about how NFTs are redefining the creative economy and how you can be a part.
1: I'm Sam Heisel. I'm Alejandro Navia. And I'm Matt Medved, and we're on a mission to empower the creators of culture.
2: Welcome to the show. Matt, what's good? I'm doing great. How about you? Oh, I'm fantastic, man.
1: IRL recordings, baby. It's off always better. Off of Riverside and Zoom. It hits different in person. Oh, indeed it does, man. Who we got lined up? I'm really excited about this one. We've got Blau, acclaimed DJ, producer, pioneer in the music NFT space. Also a good friend of mine who actually played a really key role in my journey into NFTs. It was a conversation with him uh, in the fall of 2020 that led me down the NFT rabbit hole. And, you know, he and I have always chatted about crypto things dating back even to 2016 and, and and before. He's really been at the forefront of this technology. And he has believed in its potential to empower creators long before it was cool. And so I'm really excited to have him on the podcast today and see where his head's at, because he is now also the founder and CEO of Royal. I think one of the most exciting new music NFT platforms, actually music royalty rights markets, as, uh, as he would call it, in the space, you know, wearing multiple hats, leading that show. Charge, excited to catch up with
2: him. Yeah, 1,000%. No, I think I absolutely love what Royal's up to. Excited that he breaks it down. I mean, Royal is very much at the forefront. And I think they've made a lot of very strategic decisions that are, are really helping, even with it kind of aligns with a lot of our mission at NFT now, empower the creators of culture, foster mainstream adoption around NFTs. I think the, the influence that music and musicians have spans far beyond what people listen to, right? I think people, musicians are cultural tastemakers. So I think what Royal is doing to, to bring musicians and their fan bases into the space and really lead with these kind of value propositions that aren't buy an NFT for the sake of an NFT, but buy an NFT so you can really invest in an artist. You can align your incentives as a fan. Like I always, I mean, the use case that got me excited about NFTs too is like, what if I, like when I remember I was always a fan of like, Lil Wayne and Drake was his protege. And like, what if there was, I had a Royal NFT of Drake back in that day. Like that was when it really clicked for me with NFTs. And I think Royal is really crushing that that value prop and doing it in a way where it's it's frictionless. You don't need a credit card to set up. So I'm really excited. I think Justin Blau, Royal is very much at the forefront of this entire movement. So for him to kind of uh, peel back the curtains is, is, a, is a treat. Before we jump in, if you haven't already, do want to encourage you to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, constantly putting out Behind the Drop videos, mini documentaries. If you want to learn more about some of the most fascinating things that are happening in this space, be sure to go to youtube.com slash nftnow and subscribe. But without any further ado, Justin Blau.
1: Justin Blau, NFT Now podcast. We finally made it happen. I'm so excited to have you on, man. How's it going?
0: It's going great. We are at the beginning of a five-day marathon here at NFT NYC. It's a pleasure to be
1: here. I love it. Well, for those who don't know, Blau was the one who introduced me to NFTs. We go back a decade. He At bought least. me my first ledger I back did. in 2016. I did. I did. There there are a lot of firsts since so I'm then- glad I
0: still get the credit. I mean, you know, it's it's good that you still give it. I'm I'm impressed. Oh,
1: of course. Of course we never forget. And I've been a supporter and we're really glad to have him on the podcast. You've been early in <laughs> blockchain and music. You've been been at the charge. Someone once said to me
0: in the Twitter spaces that they've been in DeFi since 2011. (laughs) So I don't know if I can beat that. Right, (laughs) Um, right. (laughs) But no, no, yeah. I mean, mean, it's always funny, right? It's like you always think that, you know, other people who are friends with you that have been involved for a longer time makes you feel a little bit late, right? No matter where you are in whatever cycle. But I've been experimenting with this stuff since 2014 more seriously um, in 2017 during like the kind of first major ETH bull run when I got really excited about the idea of disintermediation, decentralization,
1: as it might apply to the world of entertainment, which is why we're, why we're here today. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about that. For those who maybe don't know the whole backdrop, just give briefly a little bit of information about your entry point into the NFT space, when you realized that NFTs were going to be a game changer, and what you've done in, with the music industry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess my journey started in like the quickest version of the story is 2014, I met the Winklevoss twins on spring break in Mexico. Was kind of experiencing a lot of personal issues with the banking system as a young kid, as a DJ who wanted to, you know, get a mortgage. Had didn't have any credit, right? Um, had a difficult time moving money around without like higher approval because you're a kid and you're in you're at Bank of America, whatever it might be. And I was just fascinated by this idea of decentralized and frictionless value transfer with Bitcoin, and that's kind of what got me excited about crypto back in 2014. Spending some time with Ty- Tyler and Cameron. And then in 17, when ETH started to kind of emerge as this, you know, DAP based decentralized platform, I was really excited about the idea of disintermediating music, especially as we all know, and we don't, you know, we can go into the specifics, but I think we all know all the the problems that exist and how they might be solved by a transparent, immutable ledger. And I started experimenting with NFT specifically in 2017, 2018, more through a live music application, not even through ticketing, but more through proof of attendance and through like a reward system. So I threw a music festival called OMF in um, Berkeley, California, at the Greek Amphitheater. We had Zed play, Big Sean, myself, Matt and Kim. And the idea was you can earn rewards and, and proof of attendance tokens by going to the festival. And there was a moment where you could actually, you know, earn a Blau NFT by scanning a QR code that I only had on my phone. And there were 50 of them. And the second I went out in the crowd, I had a security guard with me. They were gone in seconds, right? So the the 50 people had claimed these, you know, Blau loyalty tokens, let's call them, in seconds. And this was actually built on the Stellar Lumens network. And it was, you know, a totally different time, but it was fast and it worked. And doing it on mainnet wouldn't work back then, you know, might work now. But we kind of did all this stuff. And and I realized really quickly, and, and this was in 2018 when we actually launched the product, I realized that like people love this concept of digital scarcity, especially when it's visual. Um, it made it made a lot of sense, but at the time in, in 2018, the bear market had kind of set, you know settled in, and people stopped building as much. It was it was uh, it was a darker time. And we decided we threw this one festival it was a great success, and that I'd always kind of keep my fascination and passion with the technology on the back burner until until the rest of the world kind of got it. Um, fast forward to COVID 2020, and I started seeing you know NFTs manifest in a different light. As opposed to loyalty and attendance, that you know, the manifestation through art became really popular and was popularized by you know X Copy, Trevor Jones, and Pac. And I was kind of watching what was happening on on Nifty Gateway and Super Rare, and starting to think to myself, well, how could this really work for music as an art form? And started experimenting with some of the first music NFTs in twenty. You know, there were other like projects prior to me, but I, I think as a mainstream artist, it was it was myself and RAC that were you know, just really excited about experimenting with technology. And REC and I had gone way back to 2017 days. I mean, there weren't that many musicians that were excited about this stuff back then. And we just started with experiments. And I teamed up with my art director. Um, I, you know, basically put out some unreleased music with visual art attached to it. And it sold. And we were just mind blown by the fact that these scarce digital assets had value to people. And really, you know, that emotional value of, you know, owning an unreleased song or at least being able to listen to and feeling like you have ownership of an unreleased song really fascinated me. And that was really, you know, I guess 2020, uh, summer of 2020 is when I started kind of re-engaging in the space after 2017. And, you know, we saw the explosion kind of happen following a lot of, you know, nifty gateway activity with myself, people and a bunch of other artists, um, you know, into that accelerated into 2021 and then of course you know apes and everything else and PFPs and here and here we are a year later.
2: And we'd love for you just to dive into that kind of ultraviolet album sale. I think it sold for nearly twelve million dollars and was definitely like a massive wake up call for the music industry. Like this is no joke. We need to figure out and learn more.
0: Yeah. So in, in the experimentation that I like, you know, I kind of viewed all of my earlier NFT sales as really just experiments, right? With like no expectation of profit, <laughs> really, really at all. And 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 so we designed this auction. Um, you know, I, I started doing these unreleased music NFTs in 2020. And then in 2021, I was like, well, what might this look like for existing music, music that's out, right? Like, how, how can we, you know, figure out ways that fans can co-own music with their favorite artists? And so I did, I did a single in January on Nifty Gateway that was a song of mine called Everything, Um, The one of one was the Spotify canvas that you see when you listen to the song on Spotify. So only one person owns that video, which is like really interesting concept. And a lot of these things started out as experiments. But in in February, when I did this auction, it was the first time that I had done something for an album. Um, And the idea was you got a combination of different tokens that represented different songs on the album by bidding in this ranked auction. And the, the idea economics, you know, having studied economics in college was how do you capture an entire demand curve? You know, with a regular auction, there's only one winner, but someone was still willing to pay that second that second highest bid. How can you like leverage nFTs to capture everyone's willingness to pay and where there could be multiple winners? And of course, you know our expectations, this was you know on my own website. I built the technology with um, one of my portfolio companies, Origin Protocol, and we just wanted to do something on our own independently, and it ha- just exploded. like we we had zero expectations, did a clubhouse room, did a little bit of marketing on my website. And yeah, the auction ended up netting about $12 million. And it was the first eight-figure NFT sale ever at the time. And you know, three weeks following, people did his $69 million sale with Christie's. And I think those two events definitely led to
1: the explosion of interest in you know just, let's call it the financial side of what was possible. Absolutely. And I remember this well, because I remember chatting with you in the lead up to that. And then in the aftermath, when... Everyone in the music industry was trying to get a hold of you. Um, yeah. Tell us it was a, little a dark of- time. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I should have been celebrating, but I, I, it was just you know, like
0: every it, it was it was an honor, right? Like yeah. there are all these amazing, powerful players who wanted to learn how to use the technology, and I tried to be really honest in saying, like, look, I don't know how this happened. I I couldn't replicate this again, um, and 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 that's what I said to everyone. And I said, really, the technology that I want to see exist in the world doesn't exist yet, yeah. and that's when. You know, that kind of inspired some of the initial ideas for Royal. Like, what could it mean to actually own IP in a song? Like, how, what if you could, what if your fans were your actual collaborators on ownership in a record instead of this idea of synthetic ownership of a song, which is, you know, still interesting. Collectible music is interesting. You've got CDs and vinyl, and there's a culture around that. But really unlocking, like, substantial financial upside could exist in true ownership. And it was something that was really, really hard. Um, and Fred Arizem, one of the co-founders of Coinbase, my lead investor, um, who was also the founder of Paradigm. Um, basically convinced me to start Royal um, to kind of try to solve this problem where the tools didn't really exist for an artist to have fans become their record label, so to speak, right? That was kind of the inspiration for, for Royal. And uh, that was a year ago, a little, a year, I should
1: say, 13 months ago. So that started the kind of next chapter of the journey. That's wild. That's wild. We always say weeks or months and months or years in the space. So much has happened in that time. Um, And I love actually hearing the thought process and like the kind of the line from your early NFT releases, trying to get fans like invested in it, have fans have the sense of ownership that really is in line with the guiding mission of Royal. Um, And I hadn't necessarily connected the two like explicitly like that before. I love how you said that. For those who are listening, just tell us a little bit more about Royal uh, and what you're building there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Royal is a company that I started with my best friend, J.D. Ross, from college. J.D. started many other companies in in his life, um, notably Opendoor, which is a publicly traded company that kind of disrupted the real estate world. And I called him with the idea for Royal. The idea is really simple. Um, Let fans invest in music as an asset class and participate in the economic upside that an artist achieves as they grow in popularity, right? So just opening up an entire asset class to a new audience. And if you look at it, you know, the only people who have been able to invest in music IP are record labels, private equity, and of course the artists themselves, they hold it. Um, But most people don't understand that a lot of artists that talk about, you know, not really getting paid a lot from music fail to understand that they just don't own a lot of it, right? And so we want to inspire artists to own and maintain as much, you know, creative control of their music as possible and as much IP ownership as possible. And, you know, you take artists like Russ, who's maintained that ownership throughout his career, and he makes a lot of money for music. So what happens now when you connect fans to owning, owning music as well, right? How do those incentives change? Are fans more likely to spread the word about that music, to tell their friends, to be incentivized, to make that artist grow and feel like they're a part of that growth? Whereas otherwise, the fan experience actually gets worse as an artist gets more popular. Tickets get more expensive. You have less interactions with that artist over time, right? So the idea of, you know, being a part of an artist's core collective fans like from the start and having economic upside in that artist popularity was always so fascinating to me and that's what we set out to build with royal
2: so yeah so super excited to see how you continue to iterate and evolve and kind of come up with new value propositions for fans as to how this can create and innovate upon the connection between a fan and an artist i know a lot of the current value proposition is um, investing early in a fan, but also being able to actually get a share of royalties that are generated off of traditional streaming platforms. I'm curious if you feel like the current streaming, like the artists often get 0.003 cents per stream. Like, do you feel that model is already a bit inherently broken?
0: You know, a lot of people talk about how the streaming model is broken. And my kind of antithetical view is just that no one understands how much those three or four cents are being divided before they get to an art, get into an artist's hands. Um, if you own a lot of that and your your music makes mil- you know, generates millions of streams, um, there are many artists that are making very, very real incomes from their music, assuming it's popular. Um, you also kind of have this giant misconception that that people use all the time in trying to explain why streaming is broken. And they say, Well, only, you know, 10 or 15% of all the artists on Spotify make 95% of the money. That's literally true of every single business in the world. Of <laughs> like every creator, like at YouTube, TikTok, where it's just true of every long tail world in entertainment and so realistically right um if you do own your music and it becomes popular there is real money in owning that ip that is why record labels sign these aggressive deals with artists so that they can capture all of that value right and so the idea behind royal is why not share that value with the people that create it the fans Ultimately, they're the ones who spread the popularity. And the only way that gets proven out is like over time, right? Like when an artist comes and issues assets on Royal and then they explode in popularity, everyone will see an actual economic benefit. We think that's really powerful. And that's that's kind of the model that we hope to convey to the world.
2: Yeah. Just to, to double down briefly there, because that's fascinating. I mean... There's obviously a lot more opportunity and even just power in the artist's hands if they're independent. And I think like NFTs create more economic viability off smaller audiences. When you think about the, I mean, you've done a range, I mean, you had an incredible job with Verite, then you're also working with Chain Smokers, Diplo, kind of across a broad spectrum. Verite has been independent, those guys definitely have deals. Like, do you see with the vision of Royal? Um, figuring out how to navigate that label conversation or really just trying to create a better model for independent artists? The
0: beauty of Royal is that we don't tokenize audio files. And I think it's like a big, like like Royal is not a music NFT platform. Um, People people kind of put that out there in the universe. Um, We're a music rights marketplace and music rights platform. So if you're an artist and you own, let's call it, let's say you've done a deal, but you still own 20% of a song and let's assume that song is recouped, whether it's recouped or not, you as an artist have the right to do whatever you want with that 20%, right? And so at Royal, our tokens are visual, like, pieces of visual art that represent ownership and then ownership in the underlying IP of the music, the tokens actually don't point to the audio at all. Um, And and that's mainly because there are certain IP clearances that are necessary that would be blockers for everyone to participate in the ecosystem. Um, You know, collectible audio is really interesting for independent artists to get involved, to like get their feet wet and get, you know, get, get involved with collectors and owners that want to kind of donate to their experience. But those collectors Aren't really getting any ownership in return. It's like it's it's ownership should be defined as social consensus or legal tender. That is like a very specific definition. So what do you own when you own an NFT is a very big question. At Royal, um, you own rights, right? And I think that's really important with Board Apes. And the reason why Board Apes took off so much and why I was you know very excited about the initial mint was it was the first project that actually gave you a license to use your ape when you bought that that NFT. And and we're just beginning to scratch the surface of what that looks like. But true digital ownership is, to me, so much more significant than synthetic digital ownership. The idea that this token points to an image or whatever it might point to, it could point to anything in the metadata, right? Literally anything, um, unless you actually own something related to it. What does that ownership really mean, right? And I think that's like a big, a big kind of realization that a lot of people are having today.
1: Makes total sense, and you know, I think back to I think back to our initial call about NFTs quite a bit. And one of the things that that you said that really kind of like put a light bulb like a light bulb moment for me was when you explained how um, in traditional music, you know, streaming. Um, you know, let's say you had a show in Mexico City, uh, you know you have so, you know, this many thousand streams from, from people in Mexico City every month on Spotify, but you have no way of reaching them. Um, and, and NFTs enable you this direct connection with you and your fans. And, and that, that really that really resonated. And, and I'd love to hear you your kind of expound on that a little bit and tell, tell a bit about how you see NFTs and this technology really fundamentally changing the relationship between artists and fans. 100%. So,
0: so aside from the idea of like maintaining true ownership, the biggest like two variables that got me really excited about the intersection of distributed ledger tech and music like from se- 2017 even was this idea of like an artist not being able to control any of the data they generate, right? So with tokens, I at least know there's there's a wallet address associated with a human being behind that wallet address who I know is a fan. Um, when I go sell tickets and or 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 create stream counts, right? Um, I have absolutely zero data sharing on any of those people. So I've done over like one and a half billion streams across platforms. And I've done, you know, probably over half a million ticket sales individually. And I have no idea who those people are. So how am I supposed to reach them? Um, the idea of tokens in in creating that more transparent, immutable bond between a creator and a consumer of that creativity is inherently interesting, regardless of the ownership variable, right? And and the ownership variable just makes that connection more sincere. And so what we're exploring at Royal is like all of the other ways that that relationship can be, you know, improved via token. And and, and it, it's something that like, again, we're, we're just beginning to scratch the surface on.
2: And in that vein, like what... I- when it comes to changing the fan experience, like I think it's, it's fascinating because it creates this deeper sense of ownership, loyalty, ambassadorship, because there really is this kind of more deeply aligned incentives and interests with artists and fans in this model. What are other ways in which you feel like this will really enhance the the relationship between a fan and an
0: artist? I think artists can get so creative with how they explore this this Web3 world and all the tools that, that are created within it, right? So, you know, you think about everything that, that's happening in... in in the blockchain world at large. And it's all tools. It's all tools. At the end of the day, an artist has to kind of use those tools t- to their own end, to their own creative vision. And, you know, we've seen we've seen tons of things. Like in my case, some of the winners of that ultraviolet auction have all access passes for life. Um, four of them came backstage at ADC Las Vegas, you know, an experience that's kind of priceless and really, really special. And, you know, a lot of those collectors slash owners have seen that kind of special value that exists. But the tools to kind of handle a lot of this redemption on chain are still new, um, and expensive at scale, right? So, like, if you've got a big artist um, like Yay who wants to do something with with you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, you know, as as you know, ETH mainnet can only you can only mint about seventy to ninety NFTs per block, um, and, and you're looking at you're looking at a problem. You're looking at a big scalability problem. And so, I'm most excited for some of these. Other solutions, whether they're EVM compatible or, or other layer ones or whatever they might be, I'm excited for these solutions to unlock the potential and to make it really, you know, easier for users to engage with tokens, right? Because today, let's just be honest, setting up everything you need to set up to get involved in crypto is difficult. It's way too difficult. It's not as simple as setting up an email. Um, it's kind of adjacent to what setting up your dial-up internet looked like back in the '90s, right? And so we need to do better. But we're at, a, we're at a point now where there's so much interest in, in the public eye and you've got the next generation of college grads who have studied computer science, who are really excited about learning Solidity, about learning Rust, about learning these coding languages. And they're going to build the tools of the future. And I think the next five years, we're going to see insane development on, the, on this front, you know, more than we've ever seen historically.
1: Yeah, makes total sense. And like you said, early is a relative term, right? Even though like you were early, we are still early in the aggregate sense. And you, know, you think about it, the majority of music fans are not yet in this world. Um, how do we reach them? How do we get them really involved? How do we get beyond some of these misconceptions that are preventing artists from entering the space and also you know, these UX issues that are preventing fans from staying in the space? I, I, think, it's both, I think it's both narrative and UX, 1,000%.
0: Um, and I think it's something that everybody's working on, right? Like, like fans, fans, at least in in the context of Royal, people do understand what it means to own a piece of a song. I was in, I was in Austin, which is where the Royal Headquarters is, um, looking at, you know, a place to rent so that, you know, I didn't have to stay in hotels every time I went there. And the realtor that was showing me around, you know, asked what I did. And I said we started this company called Royal and it enables you to invest in music. It's like, oh, does that mean like invest in music? Like, do I own like rights in like a song? I'm like, Yeah, yeah. He's like, Do you like could I invest in Freebird? By Leonard Skinner, I was like, if Leonard Skinner wanted to sell you some freebird, then then absolutely. And like that principle, crypto aside, like I didn't have to say anything about NFTs or crypto. That made sense to someone, right? And so I've always said everything that happens in distributed ledger tech land, it's all enabling technology. The way the internet is, right? Like the internet creates, you know, or eliminates, I should say, information asymmetry and can create marketplaces, can create connections between humans, all of the same things that that blockchains do. The special part about blockchains is it's all community owned. And it's also mostly immutable and mostly transparent. Those are two things that you know Web two don't necessarily do. And so, like when you take this transparency and this commun- communal ownership mentality and all these things, and you apply it to any creative world, the benefits become you know beyond beyond anyone's imagination. And so, you know, yeah, I think UX is a blocker, huge blocker. Like making someone set up a wallet is hard. But guiding them through the process of, of of it is less hard. You know, like my mom still has a really hard time using an Apple computer and like doesn't know how to adjust the brightness of something. And like you know, over time we we teach each other. The problem is even teaching a friend how to set up a wallet is hard, and how to use it is hard, and how to stay secure and safe with sovereign kind of ownership is hard, right? And so like all these variables are things that you know developers and builders are working on. And as we kind of enter this next chapter of what happens in crypto. I think we're going to come out of it stronger than we've ever been before.
2: And it's exciting to see, too, because I, I think um, like you guys have more than a lot of other like marketplaces taking this approach to kind of help alleviate some of the friction, having the fiat on ramp um i also think it's really interesting too from a perspective of like even just in marketing and positioning like you're not mentioning like nfts or web3 really at all in a lot of the core value proposition and i think that's refreshing because i think over time we'll see it become like nobody calls like yo check out this new wave file or mp3 when they hear a song so i think like we'll see this shift towards invisibility of the underlying tech can you talk a little bit about the intentionality of not leading with that from a marketing perspective. I think there's a lot of really valuable lessons there for other people that are building NFT projects.
0: Yeah, it's worked for us. I think it's worked for us in that, you know, our vision was for a regular fan to own music with alongside with and with their favorite artist. And you don't need to explain anything else to get somebody to understand what that means. You don't have to go and explain what a token is and what crypto does. And they'll figure it out eventually like if they want if and if if they choose to it's like does everybody go look at the source code of every website they go to no like you, you know it's just not necessary to bring people down that road and and, and effectively scare them yes. sometimes right and so having done this for you know at least been involved in let's call it experimenting with non-fungible token technology for 5 years the one thing that i learned early on is the second i used the word nft the whole world like this is pre this current bull well, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's an interview of me on Fox Business News to, using the word NFT in 2018. And the guy like literally like look, looks the other way and has no idea what I'm talking about. So how could you expect that to really change that much? Um, it hasn't, believe it or not. Even though like the word is at peak public awareness, the understanding of what it means is still very, very, very minimal. And when we use this word, when we use this phrase, non-fungible token, um, it actually doesn't mean that much in the sense that like the only reason why this phrase exists is because tokens are typically fungible in the real world and on blockchains, or they have been prior to trc 721 Fungibility means like kind, right? Even dollar bills are actually non-fungible. They have serial numbers. But the non-fungibility of dollars doesn't create marginal value. Like if I have a $100 bill and you have a $100 bill, they have different serial numbers. Unless your lucky numbers are like the serial number of my dollar, you don't really want it. Like who cares, right? And so the, the issue is like non-fungibility doesn't imply value. It just doesn't. The thing that implies value is authenticity, proof of authenticity, right? That's interesting. And using a unique ID to prove authenticity is extremely, extremely interesting. That's why we have certificates of authenticity for diamonds and for art and for all other types and for land deeds, right? Um, now we apply that through the lens of art and things get really interesting. But you know, my general feeling is, again, it, you know, tokens are an enabling technology, but you still have to solve a real world problem with whatever you're doing with these tokens. If you're not solving a real world problem, how can you expect people to be interested? And that's how we think about things at Royal.
1: I know you have gotten this question a lot uh, and I'm sure that uh, you, you encounter it a lot uh, in your work with Royal as well. But I think it's an important one um, because there are so many people still trying to understand and enter this space. What advice do you have for musicians and music artists who are looking to get into NFTs and Web3?
0: You know, I think you, my advice to musicians and artists is ask yourself Why? If it's money, maybe wait a little bit, because a lot of the you know a, a lot of the technology that will create the value for the buyers barely exists. And I, what I mean by that is like this concept of quote unquote utility, right? Like everybody throws the word around the way they did back with utility tokens in 2017. Um, it's really hard to achieve a lot of that value for a lot of these companies today. It's 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 not ready yet. It's not frictionless yet. And so if you want to create value for people who buy something from you um, meaningfully, study the technology and maybe wait. If you understand the limitations and still have really cool ideas, then go for it. Um, But I would say a lot of stuff isn't ready yet. And there's a giant oversaturation problem. And it's the same way that if you're a musician and you're going and you're selling tickets for a show, you want the production to be at the highest level. You want the fans to have an amazing experience. And if they don't, are they going to come back next time? And you really need to ask yourself that question. And in in uh, in 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 Jimmy Iovine's words from a recent recent call that I did with him, um, if you have you know if you're if you're running a fish market and you're selling bad fish, who's to say people will come back to the fish market a second time? It's like one of the best analogies I'd ever heard. I was like, exactly. So that's my advice to any artist that's trying to get involved in the space. And unless you really know what value you're creating and you're selling something of of, of meaning and quality to someone. I would wait until some of the technology is there because it's really hard to build it yourself too. And that's kind of what we do at Royal. We're we're ideally building the technology that makes it easier for everyone to get involved.
2: And then when it comes to, like, I'm curious how you feel this will impact the music industry over time. Like, I think right now, like, obviously, there's been some really fascinating use cases, whether it's artists that are effectively crowdfunding the modern-day version of the advanced and don't necessarily have to sign away as much ownership or any ownership for that matter. Um, I know some labels are a little more they embrace change a little more and are figuring out how to navigate the space others will be laggards in the space what business models or what elements of like the traditional and current music industry
0: do you feel like are at risk with the rise of nfts i feel like everything's actually everything can be kind of symbiotic um i don't know how at risk certain things are because like a a lot of people say you know who a lot of people ask us like you know what are we trying to disrupt the reality is we're just trying to free artists and give artists more independence that doesn't necessarily have to be at the expense of any other player. Um, I I think that a lot of it is creating a layer on top of the existing music world that does give artists that freedom of choice. They don't necessarily have that today. Um, The only place that can come from is from the grassroots as it always has in music and any art form, right? Like grassroots can create so much momentum and value for a musician um, and for any artist for that matter. And so I, I would say the real kind of winning, companies, ideas are the, are the ones that empower artists without thinking too much about who the enemy is. Um, because it's, sometimes it's, it's hard to know. Like, there are lots of musicians that are a part of these, like, giant deals that have benefited greatly. Um, there's a lot of artists that haven't. And it's really about giving them the choice, more so than attacking an existing infrastructure that, mind you, you know, works. It just doesn't work for the little guy yet. And get em- empowering... Those little guys to achieve success on their own is the ultimate priority that I think everyone has in Web three.
1: Do you feel like NFTs will become like a top three revenue stream for music artists by say 2025, twenty twenty five, twenty twenty thirty? I don't. I don't think of NFTs as necessarily a a revenue
0: stream. I, I I kind of envision them as a like they they are they are ultimately proof of ownership, and what what someone owns is where the value is derived from, and so like. Saying NFTs are a revenue stream, yeah, maybe. I mean, they, they have been for, and again, this is like, for digital artists, there's skeuomorphism and there's like an analogous situation with the real world where owning a, a print or owning a one-on-one piece of physical art very much adjacently follows the activity that's happened in the art world of NFTs. Like, it's, it's familiar. In music, it's not. Music is invisible. The, most, the closest thing you get to is owning a vinyl. It's about the closest thing you get to collectability, um, in in the real world, and so well, what does that mean? You know, are are NFT sales going to ever dwarf like Harry Styles did some posted some crazy number with vinyl sales? Like, could I ever see a world where that happens with like collectible audio? I just don't think so. I don't because music is invisible. It's a different medium of of consuming anything. Um, do you own the food that you eat after you consume it? Do you? Own the perfume or the cologne from Lalabo? Do you own the audio that you hear? Um, well, Lalabo has the formula for m- remaking your thing, and you have to go into the store for a refill. The food, you got to go to the restaurant every time. Does that mean you own it? Well, I mean, in the moments that it's there, but it fades the same way audio in the moments that you're listening to it. Um, you know, what do you own after? Right, it's ephemeral. It's yeah. exactly, and so it's just a different medium of ownership, and and that's what we're exploring so heavily at Royal.
2: Now, I'm curious too when it comes to. Um, like other i mean you there's a whole range of different models and I know we spoke a little bit about how artists can kind of um do it differently but there really have been like a couple core models that have emerged in the space as to how musicians can think about releasing NFTs you have like the art based where it is very much collectible music modern day like vinyl then there's the utility modern day fan club um you even mentioned too for your own ultraviolet drop being able to give people private meet and greets um, and then there's also a kind of the other element of utility and actually purchasing a kind of share of the royalties. Like, Do you feel like there will be just a repeatable model that will emerge or do you think it very much is kind of like case by case, like every I artist think it's, I experiments? Think it's case by, I think it's yeah. case
0: by case because artists know their audience and every audience is different. Mm-hmm. Like At Royal, we believe that the ownership layer is the most important fundamental layer and that you can kind of build on all those other things on like above the mm-hmm. ownership layer. Right. But without the ownership layer, you might not need a blockchain to achieve some of these things. True. And I think that's like where... Things get a little bit weird. Yeah. Um, you probably don't need a blockchain to start a fan club. Yeah. Um, in fact, a blockchain might overcomplicate fan clubs, right. and fan clubs historically like don't perform that well. Yeah. Um. But when you own something with your favorite artist, and now everyone's incentivized in the same way, a community emerges from that co-ownership. It is a byproduct of, and not the purpose for, mm-hmm. these tokens. Totally. I think that's like how I think about it. But yeah, you know, people people have their own philosophies about it. I yeah. I kind of. This is this is kind of mine.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. No, for sure. I love it. No, it makes total sense. Um, well, let's look ahead a bit. What what do you have coming up for Royal? What's coming up for you as well? I know you have a lot in the works always. So uh, fill us in on what you can. So on my end,
0: I gotta finish some some of the new music that I've been working on. Um, it's taken a while having uh running running both roles as, yes. as CEO and Occasional musician you but you deeper
2: there too Like what is that, that is Like balance yeah. Like I think there's uh,
0: Dude it's all It's all royal right now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Ro- 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 Royal's my Royal's my entire life yeah. um, um, and, and, and like sometimes On weekends I try to I try to work on music um, But so I definitely Need to finish some But on the royal side, we're like we're 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 accelerating. We have we have a lot of amazing musicians right now. It's been extremely curated, but our goal is to open up the platform to anyone. Yeah, right. Like everyone's you know asking like when can we do something? When can we do something? And really, it's just about building the technology, making sure making sure it's secure, making sure nothing crashes and creating the best experience for both artists and fans. And that's just going to take time yeah. as it did with Uber, Airbnb or any other company. right? And um, we're, we're working as fast as possible to open the platform to every artist. And in the short term, we're curating artists that we believe have extremely strong narratives and strong fan bases who are excited about co-ownership. They could be big and small. We just did a uh, drop with cartoon and Estonian, you know, DNB group, mm-hmm. right. Um, who sold out, you know, all of our drops have sold out thus far. There will be a time that, you know, maybe there's not enough demand for that specific artist that we're selling. And that's like totally okay. Yeah. Because in the end we want people to be able to buy music rights and invest in music whenever they want to, not just at these moments of a drop, which we feel is like just an incorrect way of thinking about how tokens work and how ownership works. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the same way you can go buy ownership in anything today in an open marketplace, like we're, we, we strive to create that marketplace.
2: And then, I mean, when it comes to like, as, as more and more, As we do start to foster more mainstream adoption beyond just royal, but just generally as far as like applications of NFTs and Web3 technology, do you think we'll be in like an omni chain world?
0: Like, I know, yeah, I think so. I like, I I mean, a lot of blockchains add value in different ways, and I see no reason why many can't be a part of the future. Um, and I I think like wherever, whatever chain tokens live on today, um, you, you look at a lot of the development that's happening with ZK, with other layer twos, you know, optimism, Arbitrum, there's problems across the board, but things are getting so much better, you know? And and I think like people, people tend to be a little bit impatient and this stuff is brand new technology the same way. You know, I remember getting on my first FaceTime being like, holy, like I'm on, I can see someone else talking in my phone. Like this is nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. right? And like, we're barely scratching the surface here. So um, I think everyone has to be open. right? And shouldn't be a Maxi at this stage because it's too early to be a
1: maxi like we don't really know where things will go, and I think being open minded is is the most important variable and you you've always been really forward looking what what are you excited about and from a technological development standpoint what from like what are you paying attention to the spare market like what are what are you kind of honing in on and what where do you think like what what are the innovations that you think will uh shape what the next uh what the next chapter of this looks like?
0: On a non on the non technical side of things and focusing more on NFTs and and entertainment, I would say, you know, zk, I think zk rollups are are, are a mega solution for a lot of the problems that we experience. I think that like d- debunking the myth of secondary royalties de- being baked into smart contracts is probably important. Um, marketplaces, you know, becoming more efficient. OpenSea launching Seaport is an incredible development. Like y- you're seeing you're seeing so much. That will will be the base layer infrastructure for the future of this, and we've you know the past year has only been the first wave for NFTs. It took other cryptocurrencies and and DeFi and and all these other applications years to develop. We're basically at year one of true innovation of of non fungible related marketplaces and tokens is what I would say. Even though like the tech's been around for longer than that, we're at year one of like peak development and interest, and you know or maybe one and a half years, whatever that might be. So. You know the future is the future is bright. I'm I'm excited. Yeah,
2: I'm curious too. As, as we start coming towards the close, like when it does come, right now, and I'm sure you encounter this a lot when you're speaking with different like artist teams. Like, fortunately, you're probably in a spot where it's by the time you guys are having conversations, like there's some level of like openness and interest in the space. But there's also a lot of like just general hesitance from artists, from fans. They think NFTs are a bad word. The second an artist talks about NFTs, their fans think it's a scam. Um, what do you think it's gonna take in order to kind of
0: change some of the, the
2: general public perception in this mainstream market? I think the
0: short answer to that is just like people selling stuff that's real yeah. and not synthetic. Yeah. And when when things are that are real are sold and value is attained, yeah, um no one complains. Yeah. And that needs to happen.
1: Yeah. Hey Amen. Hey Amen. It's as simple as that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I I remember actually like we I remember having a conversation early on. Um it was after your it was after your sale. It, it was it was after kind of the floodgates were starting to open. Um, you know, it was after beeple. And um I believe in our conversation, you kind of you 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 were I think it was almost a little bit uh prescient in a sense. And you were saying like you saw how this could build into something similar to like the ICO boom. Um, I did say you that. You did say that. <laughs> I and, did. And arguably take if you, some credit. Yeah, and arguably yeah. if you, if you look at what played out with like the, like, the, the hype cycles and the PFPs and like, the scam projects and the like, like, I think there is a direct parallel. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like, what lessons we can learn now, like, like looking forward from, from where we've been and, and how we can kind of cr- make it a more, uh, what's the word, uh, a safer space for newcomers and, and uh, a, a place where, where quality rises to the top. Uh, yeah,
0: I, I, you know, it's so funny. Human behavior repeats itself like clockwork and you can say things till you're blue in the face and you just hope people listen. But if there's anything I could say, it's don't do it for the money. <laughs> like honestly, if you if you create impact, money comes. If you're intending on speculating, you're at risk with with anything in life, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you put your money in. You know, it's all calculated risk. And I think the problem is people forget to do the calculating part so mm, yeah. um you know like do the calculations see you know understand whenever you make a choice that there is no guarantee no matter how credible the friend that told you a good choice is or not um and, and i think that like i could preach it till i'm blue in the face it doesn't mean people are going to listen um but prepare for anything like i don't think any of us any of us who've been around and, and matt you have too like i don't think any of us knew shit was going to explode like this i i certainly didn't I, you know I, I said yeah, maybe I could see this exploding into an ICO type thing, and then I actually think that this was this was worse, yeah. um, in yeah. many ways. Um, and so people learn their lessons. And the, the reality is, like, I just hope they stick around, right? I think there 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 are a lot of people that have gotten burned in some way, shape, or form, and I hope that they still, in their experience playing with the technology, playing with MetaMask, trading, whatever they were doing, I hope that they felt how powerful the tech is, and if they did, hopefully they will stick around. And if they do, I hope that they make their money back. <laughs> you know, like I mean, I, I think for all of us who've been around the block for a minute, it's, it's very clear that just like believing in the technology is the core value that you know people who stick around have, and and most have in some way, shape, or form achieved success. It's never guaranteed, um, but just pure belief in the, in the tech matters the most. And so, I think that would be my my advice: is if you really do believe in it, stick around, and if you don't. Wait till next time. And you know, if you don't, that's also okay because a lot of this shit's not ready yet.
1: There it is. Well, Justin, always a pleasure chatting with you. Really enjoyed this conversation and excited to see what, what lies on the horizon for both you and Royal. Hell yeah. And proud, proud to be an
0: early investor in NFT now. We are very appreciative. Let's get it. Let's Hell yeah, go. I appreciate
2: your support, man. Man, well, that was an incredible episode. Love seeing him float artistically as a, as a musician, but also just being shark when it comes to his business. What, what stood out to you, man?
1: You know, he has always been really good at breaking down complex parts of this world into simple and easy to understand terms. I think back to the days on Clubhouse, when he really played a key role in onboarding a lot of people and helping people understand this technology. And I think that really shone through in this conversation. I really enjoyed hearing him talk about how he sees the future, uh, how he understands understand how this technology will change the nature of the relationship between artists and fans. I think he's totally on it when he when he, he thinks about sort of like the actual mechanics of the industry uh, from streaming to live and beyond and where where this can all fit in. Uh, and I'm really excited to see uh, the path that he charts as he continues to build.
2: Yeah, 1000%. I was super excited about this company. Um, what he's up to, very excited too, just to create a, a more prosperous model for musicians, I think within the current structure and industry, It's really hard to thrive. You need to be an elite artist. And I think um, stuff like this not only helps fans better align incentives and be able to engage with their favorite artists in new ways, but also just creates kind of more economic viability for artists that might not be at the superstar phase, which I think is, is just really fascinating. So excited to see Royal continue to be a force at fostering mainstream adoption around NFTs and grateful we were able to uh, chop it up with the, the man himself.
1: You and me both.
2: That's right. That's right. Well, uh, thank you all for tuning in. As always, we'll be back next week. Until then, we out.